name is Charles, the lead pastor here. Welcome to the Zoom Sunday service at the river. We're so glad you could join us. We've been in a sermon series called Invisible Beliefs That Shape Life and Country. And today, we wrap it all up as we go into the Advent season next Sunday. It's been a great sermon series, hasn't it? Invisible Beliefs shape so much of what we do, how we see and judge ourselves and people around us. It acts like a background program to shape and influence so much of who we are and what we do. One of those beliefs is the caste mentality. I feel that's the most important belief we discuss in this series. The word caste comes from India, but it has been everywhere. Nazi Germany used the myth of the Aryan race to create a caste system that led to genocide of Jewish people supported by otherwise normal German people. China, Japan, and Korea have caste mentality based on Confucian ideals that shape so much of their society. One example is hundreds of millions of female fetuses have been aborted because females are seen as less than. And of course, in our country, United States has had a long history with caste mentality based on the color of your skin. There are so many different ways to rank people's worth, like education, success, religion, beauty, how much we weigh. We can rank and put people into different ladders depending on which value, which yardstick we use. It can be any number of things. And we can compare and compete with each other in these ladders to weigh our worth against others. This caste mentality is a tool and a result of the original sin when humanity began to use the knowledge of good and evil or worthy and unworthy to judge each other's worth. If you will recall, the first thing that happens to Adam and Eve after the fall of humanity described in Genesis chapter 3 is this. They realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. When they apply the knowledge of right and wrong, worthy or unworthy to themselves, they see flaws. They are not good enough in their own eyes. Their own internal voices criticize their flaws. So they are compelled to cover themselves with fig leaves. As silly as that sounds, right? Fig leaves doesn't really cover you well or make anyone more worthy. But we all do it, even to this day. We too must have coverings like success, beauty, education, race, gender, class, positions in society and family that can cover us to make us feel better. It's a hole in our hearts that is always demanding to make us climb the ladder higher and higher, never satisfied. 
And it's been made worse by the advent of all the social media. Facebook and Instagram and Twitter enable us to test and weigh where we stand. It's all around us, amplifying social anxiety, shame, self-condemnation. Sometimes we tell ourselves shame and fear are actually good motivators to get us off our butts and improve ourselves. Let me be clear. There is no problem with trying to improve our situation, our flaws. I wish you all the success in the world. Because success does come with lots of practical benefits. But the problem is, when we equate success or beauty with worth, as Christians, our worth must come from God's unconditional love and nothing else. Everything depends on this. Your salvation depends on this. Does the cross establish our value and worth or some other yardstick like success that determines our worth? This is the test of faith. It doesn't matter what you say we believe. What we really believe in our heart is revealed by what establishes our identity and worth. That's your real faith, don't you think? I was talking to a friend the other day. He said he had done something foolish. He was recently in the gym after not working out for several months because of COVID. And he pushed himself too hard and hurt himself. He said he felt insecure because he couldn't lift as much weight as before. Obviously, he hadn't been in the gym for a while because of quarantine. But he felt like a loser unless he could get back to his previous strength. So he pushed himself too much and got hurt. He was disappointed in himself for that. I could relate. I had done the same thing. My lifelong back problem that many of you know about was caused by my desire to not look foolish. 25 years ago, I was standing at the top of triple black diamond ski slope in icy conditions after not having skied for several years. And I knew I shouldn't go down this slope, but I was with a bunch of friends from college, and I didn't want to look like a wimp, so I went down with them. And I had a terrific fall that led to my lifelong back problem. Not wanting others to look down on you, not wanting to look foolish, these are powerful internal voices. If only I had faith inside that I am worthy no matter what, how would that have changed my life? How would it change all our lives? We'll be clear-minded, not be influenced so much by anxiety and shame. So we would make wiser decisions, like not going down that ski slope so fast. We'll be more resilient. We wouldn't be devastated by inevitable failures and setbacks. We'll bounce right back up all of this will enable us to actually succeed better, ironically. And the Holy Spirit can give this to us. 
when we turn our thoughts to God, when we turn our eyes upon the cross, you can feel this warmth flooding into our hearts. You can feel the confidence, acceptance, joy flowing in, no matter what situation we find ourselves in. God promises rivers of living water when we turn to the cross. God's unconditional love and acceptance can lift your heart up towards joy and love and gratitude no matter how you are feeling right now. So try it. This is the gospel, the good news that saves us, the real faith that can really transform us. Turn your eyes upon the cross and unconditional love will flood into your hearts and change all your attitude. Amen. This is why the gospel is the path forward, both for personal salvation, but for our nation also. We just had an election where the vote was split nearly half and half. In a city like ours, populated by coastal liberals, many of us are bewildered by the passion and strength of support for Trump. Many of us cannot understand why 70 million people, so many, half the nation, can't see the historic injustice of racism, its corrosive effects, how Trump stokes our divisions. The man has lied 25,000 times while in office. I was pondering why there is so much support for such a man when I saw on TV a journalist relating her experience with a Trump supporter. The journalist had asked her, how do you feel about the division in this country? And the Trump supporter, she was in her late 40s, she started crying. She says she hates it because her mother and brother are supporters of Biden and she can't even talk with them anymore. So the journalist asked her, why she supports Trump. And she said, I don't want to say. And she kept crying. And she finally said, I don't want to tell you because people will say I'm dumb because of my accent. I'm not sure if the accent will be the problem. But perhaps the way she speaks, the words she uses, it seems as though she had been made to feel foolish before, humiliated before. She had clearly internalized this fear of being mocked. There is a large group of people in this country who feel that they are being looked down upon and lectured to by the educated class, the elite coastal liberals who are moving ahead in life, leaving them behind. And this is animating a great deal of resentment and anger in many parts of the country. This is why Jesus warned us. You have heard that the Bible says, Do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I say to you, that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever puts people down will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be subject to the hell of fire. Matthew chapter 5, 22. What a strong warning, don't you think? Haven't you ever said, 
You idiot! I have, I confess, whenever I drive around in the city or something, that comes to mind all the time. And that makes me subject to the hell of fire, comparable to murder. Wow! Why is that such a big deal? Seems like a small matter. But upon further reflection, it does touch on what we truly believe in our hearts. If we really believed in the gospel, unconditional worth for every human being, we could not ever look down on anyone. Putting down anyone, pointing out others' flaws and mistakes so that they would feel foolish, this plays right into caste mentality we've been talking about. When you put people down, that means you are higher up on the ladder because you are in the right. You are wiser. It feels good to put people down, push yourself up. Let me be clear. Pointing out mistakes is fine as long as it remains along the practical angle alone. But it is so easy to cross into criticizing who people are, knocking down their worth, and play right into the game of caste ladder subconsciously. This is why putting people down is a serious matter. Sometimes we can feel like, oh, we're just teasing. That's no excuse. Such words can get internalized by both those who say it and those who hear it. So if at all possible, focus on making people feel better about themselves. Lift people up. That's the role of the people of faith in this world. Don't make people feel like a fool. When you point out flaws, do it very, very carefully. Make sure people will not feel put down. And that includes your own self. Don't put yourself down. It's very dangerous. You are denying your own worth, God-given worth. And that denies the gospel. Be careful. This past week, I read an article about a former journalist who said he couldn't keep up with political correctness. He didn't feel smart enough to hang with it. And so fearing to falling behind, he says, this motivated him to turn to QAnon conspiracy theories, which made him feel smarter, made him feel like he was in the know. He knew stuff the liberal elites didn't know. He was part of a select group who knew better. That's addictive, you know? To feel like you know stuff other people don't. It makes you feel like you are better than all those people you are comparing yourself to. He said he got caught up in a dark web for several years, inhaling the sense of superiority that comes from feeling like you are in the know. He finally broke out of it recently to tell us how it all works. Human beings will distort facts if that helps us feel better about ourselves. 
We can do foolish things to convince ourselves and others <clears throat> that we are more worthy. Today, our country is divided into two camps <clears throat> who are both animated by a sense of injustice, both claiming moral superiority in trying to take down oppression as they see it. A lot of it is legitimate, but a lot of it is also coming from caste mentality, just different ladders. One camp feels morally superior using religious language, protecting the unborn, fighting against the liberal elites, the secular world who look down upon those without college degrees. The other camp feels morally superior for fighting against racial injustice, standing up for science, better practical life choices. And unscrupulous people like Trump use these divisions for their own gain. The tragedy is the church today seems not to be able to provide any answers. Rather, the church is part of the problem of these divisions. This is so tragic. Because the gospel is the path forward for all these divisions, all the grievances. The only real solution is to do away with all caste mentality, all ladders. Just as racism is from hell because it ranks people's worth by arbitrary standards like the color of skin, the system of meritocracy can and does rank people too as is evident in the interview with the Trump supporter. There are millions who are angry and resentful about being left behind, about being low on the ladder of meritocracy, mocked as being dumb, lectured about their insensitivity, which often crosses from practical level to who they are and their worth. So they respond emotionally by supporting someone who is going to give it to the elites. Of course, this, the sad thing is Trump actually enriched the elites and accelerated the inequality even more. For example, giving 90% plus of benefits of his massive tax cuts went to the rich. But the practical reality is not what people respond to. Many millions are responding emotionally to the idea of upending the tyranny of meritocracy. Unfortunately, meritocracy is not going away, nor is racial injustice going away anytime soon. These mentalities are so deeply embedded into people's psyche, no matter who gets elected, the only path forward is we need to spread the faith in the message of the cross. The gospel tells us of our infinite value, every single one of us. It does away with all caste mentality by leading us into the way of the unconditional. We are all infinitely worthy, worth the life of God incarnate, no conditions attached. This is the gospel. We must stand on this gospel because it's the only way to fight off the insidious ways of the caste mentality. The whole world is caught up in it. The left and the right, Democrats, Republicans, everyone is worked up and angry and resentful and aggrieved because they're caught up in the ladder systems. The world does not and cannot provide a real solution. The secular world does not have foundational reason 
to ascribe infinite worth to everyone equally. Secular Nazis used to argue some people are worth more because of genetic superiority. That has been debunked, thank God. All human beings are basically the same genetically as of now. But what if in the future, superior genes do emerge in some group of people? What then? There is no sure foundation for equality for all human beings in the secular thoughts. It cannot be secured forever. If we are all just chemicals, then why can't some chemicals be better organized than other chemicals? It's not a good foundation. The Christian message that Christ died for all of us before we did or believed anything, this establishes all of our value and worth securely forever and ever. God's agape love is unconditional. Isn't that great news? We must recover the gospel as good news for all people. Christians used to be called the followers of the way. Can we get back to that? The way of the unconditional. Let's be the people shaped by the gospel, fighting for the gospel, spreading the gospel. Let's follow the way of the unconditional and we will belong to the kingdom of heaven. Amen. I'm so excited to be in this journey with you all. Well, I'm out of time. I would love to hear your thoughts. So please join us on our Zoom Sunday service at 11 or in our weekly Zoom groups. I myself lead one on Wednesday evenings at 8. Hope to see you soon. God bless.